0: What's up, everyone? We have got another special guest on the podcast today, Mr. Dan Fleshman, number 75 in the books. We're, we're doing it today. Dan, how are you? Happy to be here. Working away. I love it, man. Well, thank you for taking the time. I know you are. It looks like you're in. Uh, you're, you're on the road. You're, you're moving around. Tell me what you got going on. What are you doing specifically right now and what's happening in the background?
1: So we just debuted one hour ago, one of our favorite clients we've worked with for years. It's called First Form. It's a supplement company. They have 300 million in annual sales and they just opened up an hour ago, a 200,000 square foot headquarters. It's like, imagine the Dallas Cowboys, like a professional team mixed yeah. with a warehouse, mixed with Nike headquarters and an Equinox gym
0: inside. Wow. That's, uh, that, that's a lot going on. So, this is this is a perfect uh, example, I think, of what sort of what I think of when I think of you. You know, I've known you through poker, kind of indirectly, directly, a lot of mutual friends, and and obviously we're friends, and I've, I've known you now for a long time. But it seems like um, you're in a lot of different sectors. You you get kind of have done a lot of different business type things, and also have a mixture of poker. So I'm trying to think where we'll start, but let's uh, I guess let me just ask you about business though specifically. What, what, uh, how do you decide like a project like this, which is kind of, I guess, random per se to like, you know, other, some of the other businesses you do, it's not like directly, it's not like you're just in gaming or just in, um, you know, a, a sector, you kind of seem like you spread across and get involved. How do you decide to dive into a project? Like, let's take this one. Where do you, how do you get like, all right, let's, I'm going to get involved. How do you, how do you make that decision to, to dive into something?
1: Sure. So it depends on the quarterback i really really bet on people and so my main decision is who's running it like if jeff gross is going to be the ceo of a new company great i love it because i know his passion work ethic i know he's going to get it done but if jeff random that i don't know pitches me it's going to be way harder to for make me want to hand the money and my time and my resources and my friends because i'm putting my neck on the line i'm putting my relationships on the line i'm putting my money on the line so i'm really betting on people i'm betting on the founder and that's how i decide who I work with, we get 300 to 400 pitches per year, but I only do six investments a year on average. So think about it's only like one or 2% of the people that apply Am I investing in, because I'd rather invest more and more and more into a company, a few of them than spread it out into like hundreds of different projects. I don't throw a spaghetti against the wall.
0: Makes a lot of sense. And, but so this is something I struggle with a bit, even just like from a podcast or content perspective and, you know, Twitch, YouTube, whatever. How do you, you dive into this project, you do model citizen, you got the 100 million academy, which we'll cover later. You know, you, you're, 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 uh, I believe it's not your wife, is your girl, wife, you're married. Congratulations. That's right. I knew you guys were engaged, and that's awesome. So, like, how do you balance and say, all right, I'm gonna dive into a new project? Cause these aren't just like, you know, you're not just doing a, random little flyer maybe it seems like you're, you're doing like big projects constantly so how do you sort of balance do you do, you, do, you do it where you g- get in you hands-on and then you sort of let it go and check in a bit like how do you stay on top of so many different projects
1: sure so my actual main secret is group chats so i don't use fancy platforms and all the fancy stuff i literally have a group chat for every social media agency client for every investment for every deal And so what I do is, the reason I have them as group chats and not just one-to-one, is it causes extra pressure on the other people to actually come through. Imagine Jeff and I are on a group chat. I say, hey, Jeff, make sure Friday, 12 o'clock, we ship out these products, right? I'm now just depending on Jeff. But if it's Jeff, Jennifer, John, and Robert in the group chat, guess what? It's gonna get done, right? Because even if it's only one person that's supposed to do it, they now have accountability. And so what I do is I have a group chat for every single project. My social media agency we spend 60 million dollars a year for brands those are clients and so i have to babysit other people's money with influencers on the investment side i have 36 angel investments that means i have 36 separate group chats with those founders about the project because otherwise i would just go nuts like i wouldn't know how to do it and it would be too messy a lot of times people use Apps, platforms, this, that—they have so many different ways to get a hold of them, and because of that, nothing gets done, and things fall to right. the cracks. And so, I try to make it where I run each project on a group chat or a group WhatsApp, and that way, I can run everything efficiently.
0: Interesting. So that makes a lot of sense. I love group chats. I'm I do different Discord, other various WhatsApp. I'm sure you, you know, Slack. There's different ways to do it. How do you? How do you? It's also a bit overwhelming because if you're in a group, so many group chats, there's like messages constantly coming and going. How do you organize and do that? And also, like when you wake up, when I wake up, you know, I got Discord, WhatsApp, Telegram, Instagram, MyGram, YourGram, all these different things. How, do you find yourself – like how do you find yourself – or do you just use one? Like, what's some tricks for organization if you got a lot going on? I yeah. just feel like it's some, so easy to get caught up in between email, Skype, and all the other things I've listed. You know, you just go do one message here, you come in and out. And now there's another one. Like, how do, you, how do you do? You have like one for personal, just kind of friends, family stuff. You like texting, and then you use different ones for business. Like, how, give me some uh, tips on that.
1: My main thing is I title every group chat so I know this is this group chat and everybody within it knows because what happens is sometimes if you just see numbers or you just see names you'll forget it and it'll be hard to search and so I make it a point I have my list I know all my investments I know all my clients and I go through what some of them are not every day right even if they're active in the group chat I don't need to be every single day depending on the investment or the client others I need to be active on but mainly what I do is I put another person inside of it that can help me, so I know I get a screenshot, make sure to answer this, or make sure to do this, or I tell the people directly, like, look, if there's something important that you need me for, then text me separately also, so I'll make sure to jump in. Because what it can get overwhelming, right? Whether you have two deals, three deals, it doesn't have to be 36, that's completely insane. Two deals, three deals, four deals, it starts to get a bombardment especially on these startups because the startup phase is the most critical time you don't need me as much when you're doing 18 million and you've got 40 staff right when you're doing 180 grand and you've got two of you that's when you really need me right so i'm very very active in the beginning and then i can phase out as time goes on and then you just ask me for the bigger stuff the main tip i would say is titling your chats and making a point of going through it at least once in the morning and once at the end of the day what you do in between is up to you, but if you do that once in the morning, once in the day, let's call it eight in the morning, and then again at four p.m., you're usually going to be able to be reactive, interactive with them without like stressing yourself out where you're just in every chat all day long.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that that that, that I I find myself that this is a struggle, and this can be you know a bit where you find like the days kind of goes quick you, you just have a lot of things you're up to and then all of a sudden it doesn't seem like a lot gets done right. but you know at the same time I think things do get done it does it does work and things you know if you, if you're driven and motivated and fairly organized things sort of just seem to progress and work nicely but it's also if you if you get too spread out you know it can kind of be like you're not really adding yeah. a lot or you're just sort of you know, it's it, it, it's 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 tricky because I see some of the key influencers and people that remind me. I think I would put you in the same category or the same type of trajectory, like a Gary Vee, Tony Robbins, these type of guys. I want to ask you who you who you look up to or who you find really motivating in, in this type of space. Um, but, you know, a guy like Gary Vee's got a big team. He's got a lot going on. But I kind of hear his message is like, you know, when people say do one thing and do it really well he kind of is like, no, like I do a lot of things and and just like, that's how I am. And that's how I kind of, I feel I am too. So I feel almost lost at times. Like, is it right? Should I just be doing Twitch or just be doing a podcast or, you know, I like doing a lot of different things, but it's a little bit trickier to dominate in one. So what would be your answer to that? uh, First off.
1: So I always say to focus on one main, but you have to be omnipresent. What I mean by that is if YouTube or Twitch is your big thing, or your podcast is your big thing. You don't want to always be all in on one situation in case it goes away. What happens is things can get canceled. A situation can happen. TikTok gets banned and you used to be a TikTok influencer and all of a sudden it's gone. YouTube cuts, cuts their rate by 70%. You're making way less money and things happen as we go on. You saw Facebook, the Instagram algorithm is horrible now. Like you can't be all in on any one platform because things do change, right? Especially when things are really good. And so my answer is being really focused on one main one and then repurposing that content on a multiple platforms. so you become omnipresent is critical. So if you love Twitch, be the main guy on Twitch doesn't mean you don't have the other platforms going because you don't know what's gonna go viral. You don't know if your Twitter's gonna go viral, your Instagram, your Facebook, your TikTok, your LinkedIn, your YouTube, you don't know. And there's no extra cost to do those things. It doesn't cost you any money or time really. Because you're already doing this thing, and just repurpose your content on the other platforms.
0: I like that answer. You're right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's nothing. Nothing stays the same. It's sort of like a Buddhist mentality. Like things change, things pass, stuff goes on. And so, if you're if you're just stocks all in one spot, you can get you can get swiped, you know, immediately and just be blindsided. So, yeah, yeah, you may have to turn on another faucet or the pressure, turn it up in an area. It's good to have different uh, verticals and and to prepare for that in advance. Right. And what is going on with TikTok? Because I, I actually, it's one of the ones I haven't really dove into yet. I have an account, but I just haven't done anything with it. And now I see, is it actually shut off or it may be, or it's going to be?
1: So it got banned in India last week. And there's been a huge uprising this last few days that they may get banned in the U.S. because they're supposedly, and it looks true, taking and having access to the data of U.S. American citizens. And so, because it's a Chinese-based company and it's one of the biggest apps on the planet, and the way that Trump feels about China, there's a very strong likelihood that it does get banned, especially because India did it, it gives him more of an excuse to do it also. And because of how much attention is on there that's against Trump, with the millennials and much younger, Gen X, Y, and Z. And so, there's a lot of reasons for him to ban it. And so it looks like it's very possible. Like if I was a betting man, which I am, I would yeah. lean as a favorite that he does ban it, even though that's like a huge, huge, huge blow to them. That's, you know, multi-bazillion dollar company. And, but along the way, I would still be on it from a business perspective, because I have business videos on there that only get 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 views. But then all of a sudden I have half a million. 400,000, 600,000 just come out of nowhere because their algorithm is so favorable. And so that content, by the way, I'm not dancing around. I'm not doing anything silly. It's my exact same business video from Instagram, Right. I just repurpose over there.
0: Right. Makes, makes sense. Now talk to me about, well, give me a couple of people you look, to, look up to, uh, I would say in the industry or just as business sort of, um, you know, that are, that would be well known or, or, or just to yourself, who, who do you sort of, who have you role modeled yourself or look to as a mentor in, in a way they're directly, you have a relationship with or just someone you respect in the space.
1: So Gary V one obviously because he's my style I'm in a group chat with him that goes all day long like him and I are talking non-stop because he's obsessed with sports cards and so we have the sports card group chat where we're just buying buying sending each other eBay links and buying buying like crazy all day for the last eight months and I don't know how he does it because he's running all these companies he has a 900 person agency that's my style right and so besides being a dear friend I look up to him and respect him for what he's built and what he's doing and he's angel investing like crazy now, we're just investing all in sports cards. So, I'm emulating and looking up to what he's doing. And I cherry pick what the things are right and wrong. There's, we're friends, so not everything is right, obviously. Yeah. Here at First Form, the place I'm at, um, Andy Pursella, he's got top five podcasts in the world. He's got a $300 million a year company. He's got a culture of brand. So, I really like his style. And then, Ed Milet, you know, this guy's got, I don't know, 400 million dollars now net worth like liquid like it's just on a different planet and he can speak in arenas that are like 50,000 person arenas like he's one of those like but he's like pure faith-based family man like you just enjoy his energy and then my business partner's name is Joel Marion he's got 700 million in sales 19 million person email list and so I like to emulate and look and cherry pick what do they do right or wrong and by the way when i say wrong it might actually be right but i mean wrong for me right right not my style and so i'm looking at what do they do right and wrong and i try to combine it into myself and then i'm always constantly improving and i'm willing to travel and learn like i'm here in the middle of st louis during a global pandemic i'm here because i want to learn i want to be around even though they're my dear friends i can still learn from them
0: very nice yeah this this uh I, I'm looking at going through some of this this is uh this course which i we'll, want we'll talk about later actually, I see i just uh John Lee was on my podcast as well, and I think uh I, I was- still, I mentioned Sean Kelly, who I know has been in there and and they speak highly of it and I, John I actually didn't know John was was on in this particular program, but I, I was, did a podcast at his house in the UK a few months back. Um, but I know John and he's, you know, I, I like, I get it. These type of people, I, it's nice when you have a, a community and network and people sort of like minded and doing sharing ideas. And it's, it's easy to connect with someone. You see, like you said, like, I like sports. Oh, so I like cards. I like this. And then someone else who, you know, is sharp and, and on cutting edge leading trends, you hop in You know, you can then you can find something that's similar fits your interest. Now, if there's if it's something about medical sales and it's like some other guy's doing it and doing it well, like all right, well I'd rather do sports even though I could do anything really. And if you're powerfully motivated, driven, and passionate, you're going to be successful if you team up with some people. I want to talk about sports cards because. Jason Kuntz, Otia, you know, I, I saw in some of your Instagram um, recently that you've gotten into sports cards. I actually just topped up my collection. Luckily, last year I got like my first Jordan nine. You know, I think it's it's crazy the industry what's has gone up. It's like two and a half, three x some of the cards. Like these are, and, and it's a. I had a. I had a. Uh, I actually had a – I met Coons for the first time through a mutual friend in Michigan when I was back visiting my parents, brought him, like, my whole collection, you know, organized all the cards, and was like, how much is this worth? He's like, "Ah, yeah, it's probably 500000 bucks." and it's like, I got great stuff, I thought. But, like, then I look at his, he's got, you know, $100,000 cards, million-dollar cards. He's got the coolest shit, and it's graded, and, like, it just got – brought me back, like, nostalgia. I was like, man, thought this industry was dead, and then here's a guy who's just dominating, and, uh, you know, I see in, in your video and your stuff that you are – into, into it now and and, and doing stuff with it and actually gary v and jason are very good friends and they do some you know business together with that um but the, the tell me about the sports card industry and what what you're doing it with it and what you believe why it's so it seems like it's gotten super super hot based on what jason's telling me it literally has blown up which is kind of counterintuitive during financial times and crisis or things like you would think that that type of stuff would sort of uh, taper off but give me your yeah. thoughts on all this so what
1: happened was during
0: what's called the national convention, it's a huge sports car convention. Yep. I went there with Gary B. because he had a booth there in
1: Chicago. That's yep. where I met Jason Koons for the first time. And we started the group chat there during that convention. It's actually still called our group chat, still called the national because it was from the national convention. And so Jason and Gary quarterback, this whole group chat. And so I actually buy most of my sports cards from Jason because he's the legend, you know, he's got the biggest collection. He's fair about everything. And that's, that's what's critical because the timing on this is nuts. So from that convention, I think what Gary did was he started a snowball that turned into an avalanche, meaning he started talking about it. I started posting about it. My friends started wanting to buy my business friends that haven't bought in 20 years. Like I haven't bought sports cards in 30 years.
0: Yeah. yeah. How old are you? What do you mean? 30 years?
1: I'm 38.
0: All right. Fair (laughs) enough. So, okay. Yeah. Probably 25 years for me. Right. I guess that's right.
1: So, When I was four, five, six, seven years old, I was on the swap meet buying and selling sports cards, baseball cards. And yeah. so, but then from eight years old to 37, I never bought a single card until Gary and Jason got me back in the game. Now I'm firing away. I mean, I've been spending like six figures like nuts because I got addicted because one, I like the game, but two, it's just been going up so much. And it's, it's like that gambling thing for me when I, I've only got to play poker much less now because I normally play the big home games. And so there's not those, there's not as many of those during COVID. So I've just been, this is my thing, this is my gamble. And uh, the way I look at the investing side, so to answer your question, I'm looking at the rookie cards in particularly yep. because you need supply and demand. It's nice to get a Michael Jordan or a LeBron James card, but if you buy one from an odd year, like 1994, and they've got 60,000 of that card, there's not gonna be any value to it. But if you buy the rookie card, and then Jeff Gross wants the rookie card, Dan Flashman wants the rookie card, Jason Coons, Gary B, all these guys want that rookie card, and there's only eight thousand in the world, and a bunch of people own them, a bunch of people have them in their closets, a bunch of people have them in their garage, a bunch of people lost them. It's not eight thousand in the world, it's probably like two thousand. And maybe it's only one thousand. So you see what happens, the supply and demand for a specific card. And so
0: but, I, I know like the Giannis because I mean I got fairly lucky but also a bit unlucky because like I topped up and even in December I was in um, you know you know Tom Marchese obviously I don't yeah. know if you know him well you have you been to a sports store in, in, no, in I Vegas? Talk to, I talked to
1: Blesnick a lot but I haven't been to the store.
0: So, so I actually was meeting up with Tom, just catching up, and was there, and he had he brought out like a full shoebox, like or, like or like a bigger box, like one of those like card boxes, and I was just like, I'll take all of it. So like I I got that was the first I bought <laughs> other than. Other than Jason, because I always deal with Coons directly, but like I saw the stuff in person, it was all this, like cool, nice, shiny, you know, stuff. I was like, I'll take it. And like all this stuff's like blow up. And I, I actually genuinely love it. And I think this is the exact thing where this is the type of industry that like yourself, or Gary Vee, you know, you get some people that are kind of young, like hip and in business and doing this and social. And like, you know, you drop that, like that is that's powerful like there's no doubt that that's gonna that could cause a ripple in the industry like literally could set it on fire where people are just like you know i want it or that's cool or like even you know there's athletes there's there's sports players which makes sense too i know guys like evan mathis a very good friend of mine um you know there's other guys i've known that like they actually have big collections that are that are actual players and you know it can it just seems like it really does have legs like it it could be a big big deal
1: Your Giannis's were, let's call it two, three, four hundred bucks back in December. Yeah. It's two or three thousand dollars now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not
1: talking about a little increase. We're not talking about 30. By the way, if you made 30, 40, 50%, you'd be crushing every market in the world, right? You'd be crushing every investment advisor, every hedge fund. You made like 500%, 600%, 700%. These are numbers that don't feel like real life, but they are. Because you can look on StockX and eBay, and you can see. December 12th, the card was 200 bucks. Now in July, that card is $2,000. That's a 900% increase. Like there's no other investments like that. It's nuts.
0: Yeah, it's it is it's fascinating. It's very very fascinating. It's fun. You know, it's one of those things. that's just fun. It's sort of it's a it's an asset. Like it's a yeah. it's a it's a you cool. hold it sort of like real estate or Bitcoin or just kind yeah. of a fun different. You know, tan not that's tangible because a lot of these things are are not. So having that it, it is cool. Um, I'm I'm uh I'm looking to get more and more involved with it. So I'm, it's fun to see it coming back. It's that's great. And what what percent are you now? Like, are you actually is that like a part of your would you put that in as part of your portfolio as in terms of time and allocation and resources? Are you, are you actually, would that be like what percent of that of what you're, you would say you're spending time on is?
1: So the group chats nonstop because Gary, Jason and all those guys talk a lot in there and they're giving advice and they got big business guys in there who are also getting excited. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm firing away, like really like six figures in the last two weeks alone, like just buying as much as I can because I saw what I made. I feel like I'm free rolling. Like if you look at a gambling perspective, I bought a bunch of cards during that convention, and then Gary and Jason forced me to buy a bunch more a few months later. Those cards are up four, five, six hundred percent. So now I feel, even though I haven't sold them, I feel like I'm free rolling. I'm actually going deeper from a gambling perspective. I'm going deeper. It's just like when you're playing a cash game, you can start with ten k. You've got forty k in front of you. You're up, right? You're up thirty thousand. But you're then wow. a big fish or a big whale shows up, and you put out a hundred thousand. Right. You're up, but now you're actually, okay, I feel good. Let's go for it.
0: Yeah, going for it. No, I, I, uh, I really, he's, I'm actually, I was just texting with Jason. I was, he's giving me a hard time. I told him I was having you on today. And he's, because he's, uh, I went to the National with him the year before. So I don't, you probably, you, you, did you, uh, were you with Ryan Shinman then too?
1: No, I only went to this most recent one, eight months ago.
0: Okay, I think, I don't know if Shinman was there or not. If you would, you would remember him, Ryan Shinman, he probably met him. If, if he was there, you would have met him with those guys, Gary and, and him. But uh, I went the year before, and it was unfortunately in, I believe, um, Cleveland, or it was in one of the, you know, because usually the Nationals in Chicago for a yeah. lot of the years, and it was unbelievable. But he gives me a hard time all, all the about it, like saying, uh, you know, you missed out. But I, I, w- I went to London, did the commentary for the Triton Million, and when and, uh, yeah, I was works. like, he. Cooch is literally like it probably cost you a lot of money and you know networking and it's a great event i was like listen i it's like what am i going to do but in the yeah. future i don't want to miss the national i hope i hope i guess it would have been like right now again right yeah, july yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Atlantic city this week is what it's supposed to be but
0: did they end up i have they pushed back a date or no a lot of things aren't really reset said, like they said, de-
1: they said december but who knows i hope so
0: yeah i hope so i hope it has too as so, well well i don't want to spend i, I get fired up about cards because i really do love it and i think it's fun so that's great to hear that you're into it and and hopefully we can collaborate and do some stuff on that front as well um i'm, I'm busting jason's balls to, to put me in the chat i was supposed to be at the national <laughs> City, but uh yeah it's, it's it's fun stuff um let's talk about let's give us a little bit about your upbringing and just sort of uh poker because uh, let's let's t- cover some of that this is a poker centric podcast although it's not specifically what is your where did you grow up and then how did you sort of get into uh into the poker's uh community scene
1: so it's interesting so i was born in riga latvia we migrated when i was six months old to long beach and then i was buying and trading cards and my aunt and uncle actually owned a small poker room in Tipton, california which is like this big tiny place they own a bar on one side and a couple poker tables on the other side and so that grew into a little bit bigger, then it expanded a little bit bigger. And then when they moved to LA, my uncle became a champion at the Commerce and Bicycle Club. He was like a low ball champion, deuce to five, high, low, every game that you could, things that we don't even talk about anymore. He had all these titles and they had like all these cool trophies. And so I always saw these things as a kid. I saw these trophies like, man, that's so cool. And these are, the tournaments were small, 500 bucks, 1000 bucks, 300 bucks. But he had all these like clock trophies. And my aunt was a dealer at the bicycle club so poker was in my life and i saw it as a kid right my, my mom and dad played it my dad loved it and so as soon as i turned 18 i started going to the indian casinos and i already had a business i started my company when I was 17. so i had some money and so i'd go to these games and i was playing one two two five in san diego but as soon as i turned 21 man i would go every weekend to las vegas and that's where I met Antonio Spandiari, the Unabomber, Brian Rast. And I'm playing with, with these guys that are infinitely better than me. I'm playing, man, we we're playing Pot Limit Omaha back then. Think about it, this is a different life. This is 17 years ago. Right. Years ago, I'm playing Pot Limit Omaha versus the best in the world. Obviously, they were still learning the game too, but they were light years ahead of me. And yeah. so I was playing the Bellagio every weekend and I'd go there with 20 to 50K and I would just battle it out. And I'd play 10, 20, 20, 50, 50, 100. Either hold them or PLO. And then I started getting get into tournaments, and I loved the tournaments. And I, the business kept going. That was my focus. And so after all that, I actually ended up starting Victory Poker. And it was because I had a passion for this, uh, the online poker world. And I had done my first company for 10 years. And once I resigned, I wanted to start this online poker site. And that's when it all let, happened.
0: Let, let me, I wanna, I wanna cover Victory. I wanna talk also. Um, the, the, the on as on the banner says, uh, you're actually podcast number seventy five. So that was a that was an error. We're a little late today, and the wrong number got put up. So I'm I got my my team's in trouble, man. We're <laughs> they're not on point today. We're we're a little off. But so tell me what that means when it's the youngest founder of a public company. What is that? Was that the who's your daddy? Yeah. Okay. So, so tell me about how did that come up and what is that? So I
1: started the company when I was seventeen. I trademarked the catchphrase for over three hundred different products clothing, barbecue sets, everything in between. But energy drinks became the big takeoff the clothing we did around nine and a half million a year. When I was like 19 2021, 20, we were doing nine and a half million to 25 million in sales at department stores with the clothing with that catchphrase on it. When we were 23 years old, we took it public on the stock market to raise capital to be able to start the energy drink. The next four years, I don't remember much because all I did was sell I got us into 55,000 retail stores in America just beating the doors down, driving flying there's no there was no smartphones then there was no real social media besides MySpace like I just all I did was work and sell 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 and so once I resigned when I was 27 that's when I decided to start the online poker site
0: and how so did was was ultimately who's your daddy went public or so that that makes you the, the youngest uh, at that age when you went public, public. how did what what was the end result in that if you went 55,000 stores did the did the brand do well did you make was that like a very successful venture or, or how did that overall how would you rate that experience in that whole, whole so thing? from
1: 17 to 27 we were averaging between i'd say six and 60 million in sales depending on the year there's some fluctuations there was situations it's Overall, a big success for me, life-wise and financial-wise, and learning-wise. Because along the way, the roller coasters actually made me who I am. Similar, to like Black Friday, which we'll get into. Like Black yeah. Friday, the worst business day of my life. Right. but it made me who
0: I am right I would say the same thing yeah for me and a little different different way of looking at because I was just doing poker but it, it, I think that's a great lesson I'm sure you could utter the same sentiment basically what you're saying right there sometimes the worst things or what seems to be is like a disaster Un, un couldn't be worse it can be it can be a blessing or can actually shape reshape sort of your your trajectory or vision or what you're doing or maybe you weren't doing something exactly optimal and you end up Figuring out something similar, pivoting and getting better. Um, but let's talk about let's talk about Victory Poker because interesting. Give me the time frame on this. When is this? What year roughly? Because I remember this. I, this is like when I first met and was yeah. becoming good friends with Antonio and Phil. I mean, yeah. what year? What is it? Oh, oh eight oh nine. Oh eight oh nine. So yeah, like exactly yeah. then. It was like twelve years ago. So I was actually twenty one. Um, and I remember because I was involved with some skins and doing programs and like poker.com. And I forget some of the other ones. I think victory was actually at one point on one of the skins. I forget which, ne- which network was it on. We started off on the Everleaf network. Yeah. I moved to Malta. So I just put on a backpack. I,
1: I signed the deal. I brought in like 23 different poker pros and a couple of non poker pros like Steve Aoki and Dan Bilzerian that were more just for faces and for fun. Cause they love poker. And then, I put on a backpack and I moved to Malta, I never even heard of Malta. I just knew I needed my gaming license there, and we got with KPMG accounting, we went with the Everleaf Network. All right, I live in Malta, and uh, I would just be on, on uh, Skype with Antonio and all the guys, and the staff was in Las Vegas. And so we started building the poker site, but it, it just skyrocketed because the guys would get on TV all the time. Cause they were playing high stakes poker. So full tilt and poker stars are two main competitors. They were, you know, 800 pound gorillas. These guys are doing 4 million a day and 8 million a day in rake. They're bigger than like, can't even explain how huge they are compared to us, but they made these TV shows that were like $9 million productions. And what happens is three of the seats every time was Antonio, Bilzerian, me, Phil Lack, Roble, Keith Gibson.
0: It's like Rast, yeah. the
1: Rastinators on, like these guys are on TV with a victory poker hat, victory poker shirt. So I'm getting free marketing because they're playing for an hour every episode, and they're the talkative players. They're the young guns. They're the ones battling with Helmuth and Ivy and Negronu. They're playing versus the big boys of Full Tilt and Stars, and winning and doing well. Right. So the big turning point, the catalyst was. Antonio wins the World Poker Tour Championship, the main one, with the Bellagio.
0: I think he was heads up versus Roble. And guess who's in second? Yeah. So, Antonio's yeah. smart. Roble's such a great player. And Antonio's got a big. He's he he knows like you know Robo's a wizard. he he got the shots going, the drinking going, and, 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 and neutralized it and took it down. But I remember that. Yep. Yep.
1: And so that. that was that was the pivotal moment for us because. We had done lots of great marketing. We had guys on all the TV shows. I was playing in the European shows. They were playing on the American shows and European. And that was the turning point because all of a sudden Victory Poker gets like the credibility globally because that was such a big championship to have them head to head. And so from there, we had like 200 affiliates bringing us players, like sending us players. And that was a big focus for us. We started advertising in like 16 different magazines per month, all the big poker sites and we started getting serious traction we were getting tens of thousands of new players every single month coming in and the rest was history it was like what
0: year was that when they were heads up 9 or 10 or i wanna say 9 so so when this happened like explain to me that process because you're an american citizen you wanna set up a poker site and and back then this is pre Black Friday but it's it's in that time the UEIGA had already happened that was like 2006 right so some of these sites went down or poker room that all these like party poker right they had to yeah. get out of the US so it was a bit of a wild west you see full tilt you know they they've got a model with the the pros they got Ivy and Natasau and uh, you know personalities Ferguson Letter all these guys and and, it, and they got this great software they they do this thing is that sort of what was like all right well i know a bunch of guys that are up and coming or night. is that you said i'm gonna take make a team of focus. In, and do it so when you did that though was the company like i guess and my question is how, how does how does that work so then just so you go to malta but you're us in so how, how can how does that operate what are the logistics on making that that work really? where you can like run a site but be an american or be over there How how is that
1: so poker itself wasn't technically illegal and it's still not it's the processing the merchant processing that's the part that's what the uij really is about is the processing it's basically comparing us to terrorists because it fell under an act that's kind of like the terrorist act and so it wasn't about the poker itself it was about the fact of how merchant processing happened and by the way stars and Tilt didn't go down for poker they went down for miscoding merchant transactions meaning jeff deposits 500 bucks it would say ps3 Dan deposits, 300 bucks. it would say mattresses.biz.
0: Yeah, it was like golf balls and stuff.
1: Exactly, yeah. golfballs.com. So because of that, they were lying to Visa, MasterCard, American Express. That's why they went down. Guess what? We never got closed. I never had a knock on the door. We didn't have to close down. I willingly closed down. You know what it said on credit cards for us? Hmm. The Victory Poker Marketing. That's it. At Wells Fargo Bank. That's it. I had one account in Las Vegas. That was it. And so we never got in trouble i never got a letter i never got anything because we were willingly KPMG accounting wells fargo bank that was it the back end the other part is we weren't based in america for the back end that was everleaf the gaming network was in malta and then we became over 50% of the entire network what that means is there was 55 poker sites on the everleaf network then it became 80 and 90 and 100 cuz i kept attracting more and more people cuz i brought in so many players there were fish and sports bettors and random amateurs that just wanted to play because of our team. Our our poker pros and Playboy Playmates, Aoki, Bilzerian, they were bringing in casual players. So it was just a good place to play. Right. We ended up becoming over 50% of the network. Problem is, that's not good for us. And so we got an offer from the Cake Network in Vancouver. Hey, come over to the Cake Network. We got big sites here. We got Doyle's room. We got big sites here. Yep.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember all this, yeah these these networks
1: we did a big marketing thing and i did this like video it's still up on uh youtube it's got like six million views or something which back then is humongous because there was no way to get it out there right and uh we made this video about the victory poker launch and we threw a big cake party so we went to london and we threw this victory poker launch with the vander Holyfield. like it was like crazy times like i would say 2009 2010 right before black friday and so And we do like a cake model photo shoot with all the models throwing cake at each other. Just a bunch of cake related campaigns. Mm -hmm. Go to the Cake Network. We become a big chunk of the Cake Network. And then Doyle's room leaves. Doyle's room goes to Vet Chris out in Costa Rica. And we become like the big chunk of Cake Network. And so it was a fascinating time. And so when Black Friday happened, literally, I'll never forget it. April 15th, it was 10, 10 a.m. And Bilzerian calls me. And he was like, where are you? I was like, I'm i in Vegas, I'm at the Bellagio. He's like, what, why aren't you in Malta? I was like, dude, what's wrong? He's like, put on ESPN, put on CNN, it's over. I'm like, what do you mean it's over? It sounds like the sky is falling. And so I had the people there at the Bellagio put it up on TV and it was like, I just turned white. I was like, oh my God, like all the blood rushed out of me. And the reason I was in town was at 12 o'clock, I had a meeting months in advance, was with the guy that invented the slot machine loyalty card. He sold this company for $440 million. So I've been waiting to meet this guy who's like a legend in the game. He owned Pride, the the fighting company. He owned all the Krispy Krispy Kreme donuts in the UK. Legendary guy, never met him before. So at 12 o'clock, I got to walk into this meeting. Sorry, the story's a little long.
0: No, it's very interesting, the history of the the poker and the game and all of it. I love it.
1: So 10, 10 a.m., get the call from Bilzerian. I'm freaking out. Everybody's calling me texting is not that big. This is 2010. It's like texting starting, but like we just got our smartphones two years prior, right? One year prior, right? The iPhone one or two is it. It is
0: crazy to think where we are now and what you're able to do and and, and what with what like, you know, it's a different world for sure.
1: So I go to the hard rock with this guy named Steve Sear who wrote, he's one of the best selling authors in the gaming space. He has a book called whale hunts in the desert. So Steve Sear, he's the casino host. He set me up with this guy. And he's like, hey, we're going to Hard Rock, 12 o'clock. So we go there. I walk in the room. This guy's name was Edward Fishman. He's got to be like 80-something now. Edward was the legend. He owned Riverboat Casinos. He owned Pride. He owned Krispy Kreme. He owned all these things. So walk in, and he still owns the Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy slot machines. Like he owns the licensing for it. It's like, okay. that-
0: Yeah, he's killing it.
1: So very old gentleman. He's in his 70s at the time. Now he's in his 80s. And I walk in the room, and the first thing he says is, Man, you look like somebody died like we haven't shaken hands yet right i've never met this guy
0: you are you just there's no way to there's no way you can be relaxed during that oh, that moment nightmare. for that day in you, your phone like you must just be call after call you got emails and shit. you're just like this is a, literally a, living a nightmare you know the what the
1: craziest, the craziest twist is he planned for me that day at 1 p.m was to do a favor for somebody else was for Dan to teach and train poker and blackjack to 11 sheriffs from California. So I'm meeting this guy at 12 o'clock, he turns on the TV, he calls Steve Wynn on speakerphone. I've heard of Steve Wynn, I know the name, obviously he's a legend, but I have no interaction with him. Steve Wynn is screaming bloody murder because he had just announced his big deal, like two with, weeks prior, with stars, right? Stars were tilt. He just did his mega deal with one of them publicly. After like a year or two of paperwork, he just announced it. He was like, I can't believe this. How could my lawyers not know How, what is going on? What is this? I got to, you know, I got to get away from them because he's got a gaming license. He's got to be as clean as it gets, right? And so it's all fascinating. And then they don't even tell me. I didn't know. I was there to train the police, the sheriffs uh-huh. downstairs. So we go downstairs and by the pool they have the blackjack table set up and a poker table set up, and I start teaching them poker and blackjack. And the rumor goes around; they all start joking about it. They're all talking, but one guy is like a jerk. He keeps messing with me. He keeps like tapping his handcuffs and he keeps like pretending on his on his walkie talkies, like "Yep, I got eyes on him." He keeps saying this, and all everybody starts laughing. But I'm am freaking out. I don't know what happened.
0: I don't happen or what know trouble.
1: if I'm in trouble. I don't know what happened. I just see. 16 bank accounts got frozen from full tilt and stars. That's all we know so far that billions of dollars is frozen. I don't know what's going on. Everybody's anyways. So that's the most pivotal moment in my entire career. I'll never forget that moment. So, 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 so. What,
0: what did happen?
1: So they never even contacted me. So what I did was I didn't trust the cake network. Like I didn't know what they were going to do because they live in Vancouver and Costa Rica. And What could, you know, what happens? What if they just keep the money? What if their money gets frozen? What if they make a bad decision? What if their morals aren't? I I don't know what's gonna happen. So, what I did was I forced them to manually pay back 41,000 people. We had real money deposits from 41,000 people because we were averaging, I'd call it 50 to 100,000 new players at a time, but that obviously they fade away. So, anybody that had more than 50 bucks is what I call a real money player. Lots of people deposit 20 bucks, 10 bucks. So 41,000 real money players that we had to manually pay back, which Cake didn't want to do. Cake was like, no, we're one of the biggest poker sites in the world now. It's full tilt, stars, absolute poker. They're all gone. We're the big boys in the game and you're half the network. Like, let's go. I'm like, they said, okay, why don't you just pull out of the US and stay an international site? That's legal. I was like, guys, I don't know where the industry is going to go. I don't know what's going to happen with the money. I don't want them to knock on our doors next. What if we, what if we didn't even do anything wrong? And they just try to find something wrong and then hold our money for years. Let's just pay everybody back and we'll see where the dust settles. So I was fighting with them. I actually got on a plane, went there and just started doing interviews and telling people that I was going to pay them back manually and go withdraw your money. And so I was forcing cake networks hand. I was forcing them to have to pay everybody back because I made it in the media. I called every poker outlet I could back then. And so four days of just manually paying people back. What's fascinating is April 19th, i had already spent $63,000 in flights and hotels to go to Costa Rica with Antonio, Robo, Rast, all the models, videographers, photographers, Bilzerian. I had everybody's rooms and flights already booked. Non-refundable because we were going for sure. Why would I get refundable tickets? Let's save some money. So I lost $63,000 in flights and hotels that we were supposed to do a photo shoot for our big campaign. Anyways, instead, within that week, we paid every single person back and I was able to sleep at night. And that's what was really important. I wanted to make sure everybody got their money back. And luckily I did, because Cake Network, obviously after a while just faded away.
0: Yeah yeah, 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 that I, I, it's so fa- uh, foggy now. Like there was lock poker. There was uh, I don't know if that was on the same network at one point or it was different. It was on there, and that was, um, you know, Doyle and People were bouncing around. It was a bit, bit of a wild time. But so ultimately, so it was victory. Like so, it was an interesting experience. I mean, so you were the site was doing well. If, if Black Friday hadn't happened, you think with the trajectory, the marketing, the the team you had the, the, like everything that was, a, I mean, that was a pretty big, bad beat. I mean, that would have been a, you think you would have, it would have done very well. I mean, it would have, yeah.
1: we had at that time, we had around a 60 million valuation from what we had revenue wise and what was going on. Our overhead was tiny. Remember, I only had half a dozen employees because the network, the hard stuff was being done by cake. So my team was just my organizational team, my executives and my marketing and my web guy. That was it. We didn't need anybody because the network was behind the scenes. And then I had 23, per, 23 poker pros, and so our trajectory was we kept gaining more and more players, but our overhead was flat. We spent six figures a month on our just our core magazines and poker news, and you know buying ads on CardPlayer.com and stuff like that. We we're buying ads, but outside of our six figures a month in marketing spend, everything else was our players organically just being on TV nonstop, bringing. So, yeah, it was a huge financial bad beat, but being able to sleep at night was more important to me, and I didn't feel comfortable just becoming an international site. And I also, I will also say, I was never planning to beat Stars or Tilt. That was never my intention. Right, right. I wanted to take over Bodog's spot, because when Bodog switched all their focus to just sports, I figured that was gonna be the cool kid spot. I could take Bodog's style, and that could be our niche. And if I was the third or fourth or fifth biggest site, I would've been ecstatic, right? Yeah, I don't just need just to be Stars or Tilt. Same with when I had my energy drink, we were the seventh biggest drink in the world. I was never going to be number one, two, or three, four, or five, never, because that's Red Bull, Monster, Rockstar. These are massive corporations. But if I could just have that spot in the top ten, I'm perfectly happy with that.
0: Right. Um, okay. Well, so so a learning experience, but definitely. I mean, let me ask you the current state of obviously poker passing in Michigan, Pennsylvania, other states coming up. There's. Uh, Sports betting at a federal level gets passed. So, and there's going to be some piggybacking. I just saw, you know, Rob Young sent me an article yesterday. Who's the one of the main partners at Party Poker? That GMC, you know, there's that Roar deal. GMC and MGM, the GVC who owns Party Poker, did a deal big 200 plus million they just they just announced there's some other further funding and things going on this was yesterday so i mean it does seem like gaming sports poker's coming back do you would you is that like sports cards you got into if poker came back in the u.s or just like that's a passion you do you feel that poker would be something you'd be interested in doing some business type things if it opened back up or is that like that ship sailed for you or or what do you think about poker i would consult for a poker company or a gaming company or a sports company. I have
1: clients, like I've done big campaigns for DraftKings and some of these brands. I've done some really cool campaigns. I don't think I would start an online poker site again. If it was nationwide, right? Then I might consider it, but I doubt it's gonna be nationwide. I think it's gonna be state by state, obviously for a lot of reasons. The way that they do payouts and taxes, it's just hard for them to all agree. But really what matters is California. Florida and New York are, are mission critical too. But California, remember, was a huge percentage at one point it was like 12 to 18 percent of the global poker market
0: yeah it's massive it'd be like the biggest country or third biggest you know what's
1: crazy think about it it's been 10 years all those players have way more money now their jobs increase they're older they're on their 30 or 40 or 50 you know like it's us because we were in our 20s then now we've got some more money now if we were playing online poker we could play a bit bigger games and create more rake and and so it would be even bigger than ever, but really California is what matters. So if California comes back, I would either consult for a company, I think that's the play for me, it would be fun to start it again, but I think I, I lived that life, and I'm, right. I, you know, it is. It's it is. a
0: grind, you know. It's and it, as you've, you've known, it takes a lot of uh, of sweat and, and and effort. And yeah, I think you could probably use your services and, and experience more more so. So was it net net? Did, did victory like how was it? Uh, you had, you paid all the players back because that that I mean, look at what happened with Full Tilt. That was an absolute nightmare but in terms of like profitability or doing well or net net like where i mean was it was it, did victory end up doing well like would you say it was a success i mean no not from- counting black friday because that's out of your control and you know salvaging right you didn't you imagine imagine you're the face and it's like oh every player's money got locked up and you owe everyone you know you don't want to be like in one of those spots but how was it like a uh, end result like did victory do well like was that a would you say that was a success
1: so from a company marketing brand perspective, I was ecstatic. Like I have a feather in my cap, I love it. I'm so proud of it. From a financial part, once Black Friday happened, no. I mean, that was tragic because right before, like two weeks prior, I loaned like 600K to the company extra just to prepare for our big new campaign. And I was never taking a salary out. I was loaning, I was putting money in. And right before then we were doing our big launch in costa rica we were going to do this big marketing campaign and literally flying dozens of people out there to do this whole thing and so i just put in that 600k or maybe a little more than that into the company to like prepare and beef up for it and so overall success wise we had a huge run but we never saw there was no exit there was no does that make sense like yeah we didn't get to pull money out from that perspective um, but from a personal like sleep at night, yes. Like I love the brand that we built. It was so much fun. I still watch the videos every six months or a, a year. Like I'll still go back and look at those videos on YouTube. They're just fun to watch the Victory Poker highlight reels. And so it was a great experience for my life. But no, there was no financial like, holy shit, that didn't happen there. We were on the brink of it, but it didn't happen.
0: Right. Yeah. Just kind of to your point earlier, you said about life and being hedged in different things and and not putting everything in one basket. Things happen. There's COVID happens. Things happen. There's stuff that you can't control. uh, And and you want to, you know, you don't want to just be fully all in on one one specific social platform if it's that what you're doing or or business or investment i mean kelly criterion that type of stuff and thought process i think in gaming and having like a game perspective logic i liberi on the podcast yesterday they're you know, talking about that too i think poker players or people that play poker to some degree and have an understanding really in business it can translate well with risk mitigation and understanding you know highs and lows realizing that things happen you know if you have some of the stock market that loses dips crazy like they might freak out or not really like for poker players or people that are are, are used to taking risk in gaming it's like you deal with it like you take a bad beat you lose a bet you make a wager and you can kind of separate from the money and the results not being so results oriented you know you make a bet you you live with that bet and you and whatever happens you kind of understand that that's that can happen things don't always go. I think there's a, there's a lot that can be learned. There's a ton of skills. I'm sure you would, you know, that's what you're saying as well. You, you play poker from a young age and, and had it in sort of your DNA and, and background. Uh, let's, let's take a look at your poker career a bit here. Because again, more business focused, but, you know, looking at Hen and Mob, just like every other guest, I'd say 98%. I say it's every time. The first Hen and Mob cash is always a final table. So that I think there's something to that. Like it's like, not like a 30th or a 50th, like you got, and actually you won your first Hendon mob event, which is kind of ridiculous in itself. So wh- what happened here? How did you sit down at a poker table and how did you win your first yeah, that, ever event? That, that's Pretty ridiculous it. string as well of, uh, I mean, this must not be massive fields, but still some of these, you know, it's uh, you just chalk final tabling these, these tournaments. So what happened in this particular one? How did you decide to go play a tournament this day?
1: Yeah, that table I think was like Grinder. Uh, forgot there's something we got in fifth or sixth. That, that's how we ended up doing the deal. Oh yeah, TJ Cluday was at the table in fifth or something. Uh, it was kind of like Grinder's crew, like Chino. The whole squad was there at that final. Um, I didn't play tournaments before that. I just loved it. And then is this we, the
0: one you're talking about where Grinder got second, or no, a different one? No,
1: that's is, that, that was the 10K high roller at the Hard Rock. No, that was the very first one. I don't know if Gr- it was Grinder was standing behind me because his boys were at the table ricky yeah that's right ricky was gotten second ricky was one of his good friends back then and joe Seebach, anyways uh, and prendez so his little squad kind of like took over that final table and uh that was what got me hooked to tournaments i freaking loved it after that and then the strings you're talking about that was an interesting moment that was like like a canadian poker tour came to the hard rock i won three or four events in a row all in like a five-day period Back to back to back to back. It was like first, first, third, first or something, and that third was just was a chop. And they were small fields. I think it's like 30 to 80 person fields, but still, imagine trying to even win three single tables in a row. It was like yeah. 30.
0: Yeah. And uh, easy. speaking of single tables, we were at that video. Uh, we filmed that panorama for Aoki and Afrojack. I yeah. think remember that. That yeah. was uh, we actually ended up playing a sit and go. I think Grinder. It was Grinder and Antonio and uh, Rast maybe and um for whoever else uh that that was that was fun that was a nice little uh uh, what's the name of that song uh no beef yeah after jack and i got like a if you blink you'll miss me but i did was in there with that and it was fun and and i think we actually played it and uh, I remember we took – I think you cashed and I took it down. That was like a $500 yeah. friendly sit-and-go movie that shoot. But that's how much those guys love poker. Right. They actually wanted to play. Like Aoki, uh, I don't know him very well, just mutual friends. I know you're very close with him. I just saw on Instagram the other day You read his – I think he's doing some big projects and uh, yeah. opening some stores. But, like, you know, he loves poker, like, which is cool. Like those guys, like you mentioned, Dan and these other guys that are actually genuinely really into the game. So yeah. it, it's uh, – it's cool it's it's fun and i i think a lot of people you meet a lot of your friends you've either met directly or indirectly from poker and i can say the same and it's it's, it's it's i have so many positive things to say about the game and it's great that you love it too so were you actually a poker pro at this time you take down this tournament kind of get into it you playing some you're having some decent results um you take down the 73k uh you go to wsop europe and you at this time i guess victory poker was already going you final tabled the main there the the WSOP main event that one Um, one
1: was heartbreaking I was the trip leader of the main event on the final table oh that one hurt
0: (laughs) you got oh that was when I think James board won I'm looking back uh my stuff's freezing up for a second yeah so that was pretty big uh pretty big payouts but yeah what so at that point what point were you actually were you would you say more business or were you actually playing poker for a living or doing a little everything
1: yeah no I've always been business I've still never been a poker pro um poker has always been a passion and I've always played in the home games, but I never did a full season. Like when you see those results, I was only playing 10 or 20 minutes at a time for the year at best. And so I never did a full series, the World Series. I've never done a full anything. I want to, like really my one bucket list thing I'd love to do is a full international from January 1st to December 31st, travel the world, play everything. And that would just be like my bucket list dream to like get to see the planet and get to actually play and try to like see what I can really do versus the, all the pros, you know, like try to actually go on the tour. Um, but yeah, I've never been a poker pro by any means. Um, that's why I have a seat in every poker game. Cause I'm still the business guy. Like everybody, you know, I'm yeah, fine. I'll, I am I'll. want to straddle the maximum. I want to,
0: you know, you're in the sweet spot. The more, the more tournaments you win and results you have, the less people want to play with you. yourself. So it's good <laughs> if you, uh, you stay under the radar relatively and get to play good games. Cause as we know, cash games, home games are, can be very lucrative. Um, tell me, I would say that point too though. It is it's all about the phases and different times in life because it's tricky. You know, I say the same thing. Like I, I've got my hand in a bunch of stuff and I would also like to just dive in and like legitimately go to where all the pros are going. Like go to every stop. January's yeah. this, February's that, go around the world, play like the full, not just the main, That's but like cool. the full Definitely. thing. It's kinda hard and, and almost maybe impossible for you right now. But you know, I have a fourteen month old son. I, I don't you don't have I don't believe you have children yet, right? Yeah. Not yet. So tell me about, tell me about, let's talk a little about your relationship. I know you, you, you do some funny, uh, I like the the humor of the, you know, Instagram uh, husband or boyfriend. Like you got your, your wife, I know is, uh, I believe, um, into fitness or she does some she's very active on social as well and, and joke that you're like an Instagram model husband or, you know, that you, the things you do for Instagram, like some of the shots and have to get up and do this stuff. And I, I, I think it's funny. I like it. What, what is, who is your wife? How did you guys meet? And how does that work with, uh, in terms of just the whole, you know, traveling, sure. doing stuff? She's, she's into projects as well. How do you guys sort of balance and, 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 uh, operate together?
1: Sure. So we met cause she was pitching me on her bikini line. She had custom making bikinis and she had some good sales. Um, so she pitched me on the bikini line. I pitched her on life. Like I was just like, I wanted to marry this girl. The second I met her, like I, I called my best friend and I just said, look, man, like, this is it. This is the one. And you hear those stories, and I don't believe those stories, but I, I lived it. And I was like, that's it. She is. That's it. And so I had a good run. You know, I was like, I'm ready to pack it up. This is a girl. That's it. And so we've been together for half a decade now. And um, she, she has a pretty great, big following on social media for her personal training, her fitness. Uh, her Instagram is Casey Loves Fitness. That's what she's filming right now in the other room. Filming fitness content in st. Louis like she'll travel with me when it's fitness related or work related But all the other time when I'm traveling 50 100 200 times in a year. She's not going everything. That's just uh, And so She also manages the first form campaign. So she's managing the supplement campaign with all the other influencers She manages that campaign as well. So she lives and breathes what I'm doing and she enjoys it, but when I'm going on speaking tours or I'm going to poker, all those things, she doesn't travel for that stuff. She'd rather stay home. She's a homebody.
0: Right. Very cool. So there is, so you do find time and trips like here, like she'll, and she can sort of help or be a part of it. And she's hands-on yeah. involved in what's going on. So you guys get to, uh, that, 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 that makes a nice, uh, nice, nice, uh, symbiosis it sounds like she's involved and then in, in helping with things too so that's that's cool but i, I know i know the feeling on the one I, I called my my shot as well i met a burning man and just said this was the one and some you know when you know you know it's like business when you know you want to bet on something you bet on it when you're ready to fire sometimes you just got to go you know that's you, it. You, it. <laughs> you just go for it exactly um let's talk about a, about your charity model citizen fund what is this how did this start and what does this uh mean to you
1: Yeah, so Mala says, we're on our eighth year, and this is my most emotional passion project. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. It's a 0% charity, meaning I cover all overhead. So if a dollar comes in, a dollar goes to these backpacks, and not a dollar goes to overhead. And so it's 150 emergency supply items inside of a backpack. And we give those backpacks mostly on the West Coast, but also to homeless shelters, teen abuse shelters, women abuse shelters, and orphanages, but mostly focusing on homeless shelters. And when we give these backpacks to people, they get 14 pounds of supply. So it's half food and drinks. Other half is like a watch, poncho, clothing, books, et cetera.
0: And, 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 and what? so how does that actually work? Do you get like donations from companies for the products? Do you, how do you allocate? Where do the bags go? Like, how does the details of that work? And how did you, you just started this. You said how many years now you've been doing it?
1: eight years ago and I started because I was raising money for so many other charities so I threw charity poker tournaments you know three to five times a year for other people's charities and I would raise 50k 200k 80k 300k and give these checks or wires to these charities and then never really get to see what happens after the fact it may have been going to good it may have been going to their overhead it may have been going to whatever and i just didn't get to feel it and be able to take that feeling and relay it to the people that have donated to them and so i wanted to make a very simple charity i make a backpack that's really heavy full of supplies and i give it to people that are homeless very simple very straightforward and in that action people can be a part of it and so they can actually go give out these backpacks themselves so jeff gross donates 500 bucks i can send five backpacks that are 100 bucks each i can send five backpacks with 150 items inside each backpack to Jeff's office or home, he can go out with his staff or his fiance or his friends and go give it out to people. Does that make sense? Very
0: so- cool. It's a it's a nice concept. It's all it actually it makes a lot of sense as well with the backpack. You know, especially if someone maybe, if fortunately homeless or you know needs a whatever, they just they can they can utilize that. They can use for what it you know. It, it's got utility and, yes. and uh, the items and you get to kind of pack it all together. It's a great idea. I think uh, I really I really like it. That's that's very cool. And tell me about the other side. So the charity cover. What's the hundred million academy? What exactly? is this this is uh this is something again we, we touched on it earlier i know uh, some people that are in it i see listed here john lee um who's been on the the podcast and i, I saw sean is as, as well i think he was either a part of it i don't know if he's one of the um sean kelly is either just part of the course so walking through this i want to go to it dan actually i was talking i was texting or via instagram with joel marion i think because maybe my friend got me in touch with him about this specifically and we were sort of talking about it. you're the guy i'm going to want to talk to afterward and and see what what can be done but what is someone who's watching they want this looks cool walk me through start to finish how do you get involved and what what is it so first Joel and I created a really really high-level one it's a hundred thousand dollars per
1: person and there's a hundred people in this group and so we had these live events that people paid 100k each for from those events we wanted to make something that everybody could learn from but instead of just learning just like when you go to college most of the time, you're learning from instructors or professors that haven't built large businesses or built in, in that industry and what they're teaching about. They've learned and they're teaching the content that they've learned. What I want to do is put together these instructors that you see. Everybody's either done over 100 million in sales, been seen by over 100 million people, or spent over 100 million on ads. And so when you're learning from them, you know, like that guy you're clicking over, he's the, CT, the C, sorry, the, the guy that created And co-founded tinder uh, cro chief revenue officer i was trying to figure out the letters cro the chief revenue officer for tinder well you're going to learn a lot from that guy because he built a company that's doing hundreds of millions of dollars a month in revenue right instead of just learning from somebody that's reading from a textbook the guy on this main screen neil patel this guy consults for ebay and google the guy does tens of millions of dollars a year but he's done hundreds of millions over the last few years like i want to learn from that guy this other guy, Matt Morgan, he built up a multi hundred million dollar cannabis company. This other there's the Wolf of Wall Street, there's Billy Jean, all these different characters have something that to do with over a hundred million in sales, ad spend, or eyeballs. And so I wanted instructors that could truly teach from their experience. That's what was important to me. So we made this version that's a hundred bucks a month that people could come on and join. They could do it monthly or annually, however much they want. But the difference is there's three hundred hours of content that they can watch. 24 seven or we go live every single day monday through friday at 6 p.m with an instructor so yesterday was jay shetty today is in the guys that have a 200 million dollar agency that teach about ad spend so every day is a different character that's teaching about a different topic
0: very cool yeah this is uh definitely definitely serious i, I mean you can just tell it's very well put together you know i, I recognize or know personally uh, numerous people involved and in it. It, 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 I just want to understand though it is so to someone here wants to sign up it is actually it's so ha, when is the next one how often do they run and what so for uh, it's a hundred thousand to get in
1: yeah so that part the hundred thousand part is sold out there's uh, for the annual that part is sold out the that's the one I'm doing with Joel and then Joel and I created this academy this is only a hundred bucks so the Academy online is the the online content. The hundred K group is the live events. And then next weekend we're announcing, we're doing a 30 K group in the real estate space. And so everybody from the hundred K is comped to go to the 30 K. So they get to go to both. And those are three weekends a year for the real estate space. So I'm trying to have these live events where I bring in the last one I brought in, Mark Wahlberg, Tyga, Chris Tucker, Nick Cannon, Chris Jenner, magic Johnson. I'm bringing these different characters for the live events. And then I take a lot of that content and I put it here for people to learn online.
0: It's very cool. Yeah, it's it uh, looks. It's like a, I mean, definitely a very nice website, very clean. It looks very, 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 very cool. I, I'm, I'm certainly interested. I want to know more about it. So that, that if you're interested, I guess the best way there's uh, the info on here. You can go to the website and there's more information. How you can check it out. That is uh, definitely very special. Well, Dan, I, we, I know you got, you got a tight schedule. There's a lot of questions on Twitter. I do want to uh, answer questions. Is there anything? Oh, actually, last thing before we go over to Twitter, do you have your book here? Uh, can you tell me what this is? Because I, I. I saw this I know it's pinned actually on your your Twitter how to set up your business for under a thousand dollars so what is this exactly and yes, uh, what uh when did this come out what is it and, and, and so it came out a few years ago and the book is very
1: straightforward it's all the things you need to set up your company so it's how to get a corporation how to get a trademark how to get your bank account open how to make a business plan how to do SWOT analysis it's all those basics that teaches you that, and then there's all these checklists in the back of what apps or what websites to utilize to do those things. And so the website is buythisbook.com. You guys can all get the free ebook version. Just put in the code elevator. So if you go to buythisbook.com, put in the free code elevator, you can get the whole book for free in there.
0: Interesting. And if you want to buy it, the actual hardcover, it's how much? Uh,
1: Ten bucks or twenty bucks? I think okay. the paperback is twenty bucks.
0: Um, our hardcover would be twenty. Yeah. That. Uh that so you can get the ebook for free
1: well it, it, on the website you would pay, you would have to pay for it but if you put in the free code elevator then it's
0: free oh okay well there you go so that's uh that's cool actually i mean that that's nice that that i love the website as well i mean I, it's almost like out of principle i just the domain's so strong i, <laughs> I would get it and I, I would be would be interested in uh seeing what you got in there so that's very cool so very nice. You got your book. You got your charity. You got the 100 million academy. You got. are in St. Louis doing stuff. You're moving. You're shaking. Anything else to cover before we we dive into the questions? I mean, we I, I think we've let's we've gone go over questions. a lot, but yeah, let's go to the questions. And and how many you're in? How many angel investor and in how many in 36 30, companies? 36. Yeah. What what is that what does qualify as an angel investor? Like, if you have, do you, is there is that you have a piece of it? Your equity. You have a you know what what qualifies to be. A angel investor in a company. What would you say the parameters are?
1: So most angel investors are putting between twenty five thousand and two hundred fifty thousand into a company to buy a piece of it. You could buy as much as fifty percent. If you're having more than fifty percent, I mean you're a founder and owner. Most of the time you're buying one to ten percent on average and putting in twenty five to two hundred fifty k. With really a twenty five to one hundred k is kind of the average that people do. My check sizes are one hundred k to two hundred fifty k unless I'm doing something big. Like if it's the acai bowl chain I keep posting about. I'm doing a bigger investment. There's certain companies I'm putting. Which in. one is that? Uh, it's called ever bowl. Oh, um,
0: that's the one with
1: Aoki. No, uh, no Aoki has that one's called blue tree. So he's just blue starting tree. that one. Cause he, he has a bunch of locations for pizza Aoki, but blue tree, they, they have three or four locations now. Um, and that's got coffee juice and, and smoothies. Uh, mine is just acai bowls. We have 26 locations, and I'm trying to open 20 more this year alone. So I'm trying to double it this year.
0: Very interesting. That's that cool.
1: One I'm right? one because that one I'm like I'm going to go for it on that one.
0: That's awesome. Um, that's, yeah, that's, I, I love acai. You don't have to tell me, man. My yeah. wife's Brazilian, so I, I get it. Yeah. You're you are You're ahead of the curve. Acai, good acai is hard to do, especially in, in the U.S., but I, there is some. Uh, we bring it from some. Brazil. What, what's that? We
1: literally bring it from Brazil.
0: Oh, well, there you go. We don't, so, we don't do
1: the normal stuff that's out here in the U.S. We bring it from Brazil.
0: Very nice. And also your website. Let's touch on this. So you do have the what's Elevator Night?
1: So Elevator Night, I've thrown 38 events that are free. They're between 300 and 1,000 people, and it's like a live Shark Tank. And so I've been doing those for six or seven years now. We've thrown 38 of them, and it's just a free event that people would normally charge 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks to attend i make it free there's no sponsors there's no sales there's no tickets it's just i want it's my excuse to get everybody in the room to learn and network with each other
0: very nice so we got a nice clean website i like it anyone i i if someone has their own personal website i have one not many people have them in poker i mean you're not poker your business but having your own website's nice that's a nice yeah. touch i like that i know you're a serious guy guys so we got dan dan making moves on here we are going to go over to the questions if you do have a question you can go and get it in we'll try to answer i know you have to go in about 20 minutes i think is that right yep we'll uh we'll 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 knock out as many as we can we're giving away a 55 dollars ticket courtesy of party poker and we are going to uh rifle through some of these i'll read them off i'm not sure if you can see it um busting the world series main event how did that feel like the one that you were chip leader in you were a chip leader you could taste it it's the main it's a european main but it's still the main wslp what was going through your head and what happened you were chip leader and just, was it was coolers bad beats did you did you put the pedal to gas what, what happened in that tournament uh,
1: there was two hands one was i had ace queen which is the, the death in
0: most tournaments i had ace queen Dude, you're talking. This is everyone knows me. Who knows me? I say this. I just bin it. I, that hand, you can't win with it. Ahead, behind, it just there's some. It's a. It, I don't get it. I don't get the hand. It makes no sense. It just never wins. So, all right, I already know this is bad. So, I get into this raising war, and it was
1: like you can see the video. You can still it's up on YouTube. Uh, if you to put in WSLPE, uh, and this hand is just like it was too many levels to it. Like the big blind. Uh, he's a f- pretty well-known poker player. Just forgot his name for the moment. He has a twin brother. He's at the table and he's in the big blind. And he's like, I raise and then he re-raises and I re-raise and he has. He's like, wait, I gotta put my glasses on and he so, like starts talking and then just goes all in. And I'd already raised like pretty big, and so I didn't need to call. And I tell him he has kings. They don't even show this part. I get up out of my chair. Oh, is this
0: Daniel Steinberg because his yeah, brother Max. Max yeah. Steinberg. Yeah. Okay.
1: He's a good, a good player, nice guy. And I like, I just know he has kings and I have ace-queen. And I'm like, what am I doing? But I have the big chip lead. I have over 2 million chips at the time. Nobody even has a million. It was like I had a ton of chips at the time. And I'm like, oh, why am I doing this? You have, you have kings. And I just stuck it in. I don't know why. And so that puts me down a big chunk. And then, because he has kings. And then right after that, I have this hand with, uh, what's his name? Max, Nicholas Levy that's... That, that hand has a ton of views on uh, it. It's the first time, and maybe the only time, in ESPN history, they showed an instant replay of what happened. Because, it's like, I don't consider it cheating, but it's you no, know, it's thought of as cheating. Where, I basically, I, uh, I raise, and, I'm sorry, on the river, I turn my Jack-10 into a bluff. I know his hand, it's completely obvious, I know what he has, and so I, I make this bet. And I don't go all in. Sorry, I bet four hundred ten thousand chips, and he fake folds, right? And like takes his cards and fake folds, and so Steinberg and James Board both um, they both Daniel Steinberg and James Board both start screaming bloody murder. And you can see the video on YouTube. It's W S O P E controversy hand. Okay. And so they both start screaming bloody murder and i i'm dead quiet i don't move because i turned my jack 10 into a bluff the flop was like ace jack four with two spades turn like a two river of five something close to that combo where there's a one card straight a three card flush like everything's out there he, i just know what he has right he has like an ace queen Ace 10 Ace 9 one of those hands and it's no question okay and so I uh on the river, that perfect card comes for me to bluff. So I bet four hundred and ten thousand, which was most of his chips in the time. And uh he does this fake fold and Steinberg and Board starts screaming bloody murder. That's cheating, this is ridiculous, what the, like just ripping him. Right. And the WSOP director, Jack Ethel, runs over and Nicholas starts lying. And that's what I didn't like. I know the move to me wasn't like that big a deal. I don't really care if somebody does a fake fold that's not cheating to me it's his angle shooting but it's not like cheating and so nicholas lies and he's like uh jack says hey no you did this and he's like no 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 i did this and they show an instant replay of him actually doing the fake thing and like trying to get a reaction from me and so he starts thinking and jack forces him to call and at the same time he's like i was going to call anyway i was just thinking and so I was very upset about the scenario because that like cripples me down to nothing and then i'm out and then you know next hand or a couple of hands later
0: and so Oh, so he did yeah. and he and, and now and he like fake fold and then he calls and
1: the, yeah jack forces the call when i'm trying to get him to fold and then steinberg you can see on the video steinberg's apologizing james is apologizing and again it's not their fault they're protecting me because they're saying that he's angle shooting but like that moment i still think about like it's you know that was how often is a business guy going to make the final table as a chip leader in a main event
0: no, yeah, and then WSOP, Maine, Europe, and also like, yeah, it's just it's a crazy situation. It's like one of those spots you don't really get to relive. It's an equity, it's a bluff. It's like right, weird. Yeah. It's like he's probably going to fold. He's literally probably fifty-fifty or maybe sixty-forty folding or whatever, seventy-thirty. And yeah. yeah, it's a bizarre spot.
1: And so I still think about that hand a lot emotionally. That one hurt. Like I actually got up uh, the very next time when I go out. I like, got up and like was starting to leave like before the hand was even over. I was just like so
0: frustrated because frazzled. you're frazzled yeah, yeah so.
1: like it it was like it, I, I Issel dur and i had a big hand that was on tv then there's ivy like all the legends are there like what moment am i gonna have like this
0: and uh i remember i remember i don't remember the hand specifically i remember that run i remember you being deep and i remember you having a lot of chips and and uh i don't remember specifics of what happened but i just remember that you were you know you were doing well and i think i was probably with rast or someone and sweating and there was like oh he's chip leader like i remember that you had a lot of chips and it was a big moment so don't mean to react just <laughs> twitter world brings out sometimes they can bring out some but um so someone's asking the best finish in the main well there you go and then how it felt so you obviously yeah not a not a great memory but a fun run you made a final table of the That's main and of WSOP. um how do you pick what companies to invest gut feeling you did answer this basically betting on people and and sort of uh i don't do multiple
1: in the same category unless it's fashion
0: okay so that so so that has been answered uh what do you think the rate of success is for new business plan given the recent situation i I, i'll take this question further so i also i have a lot of uh angel investing i guess you would say in that range of 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 investment um maybe a a handful as well not 36 but a good bit um maybe 10 uh, roughly let's just call it I don't know yet if I'm a good angel investor because right. <laughs> well, first of all, there's a lot of luck, I'm sure. Right. Like even if the people are good or depending on the industry and how it changes, but you know, it, it takes a while to come to fruition. So you might, it might take three, five, 10 years yep. to understand where you're at or where you're at. And obviously your track record, and if you bet on good people and you're in good space, likely going to do better. So, you know, what would you say your success rate is, or would you guess would be, and how would you say overall? Cause like random people, flicking in investments and maybe being sort of fish, if you will, you know, it's probably very hard, but someone that you think you, you know, you calculated, you have the information, you know, the people personally I would imagine is better. So give me the two, what do you think a random investor success rate is and these type of things? And what do you think your success rate is?
1: Sure. So most of the time, only one or two out of your 10 investments are going to make it. And you're hoping that there are one or two are going to help pay for the 10. And so an angel investing is hard from that perspective because the company's either going to need multiple rounds of funding or they're going to go bankrupt or situations happen. So one or two out of 10 is really like what actually happens for, as right. far as the company having success.
0: Again, sort of like a poker tournament. It's like you'd rather, you'd rather nail one and bust 10 than yeah. min cash four and, right. and whatever. So it's sort of like the same sort of thought process. Like I think when you evaluate on business and investment, what is the ceiling? What is the upside? Is this unique? Is this, does this have a, a chance to really pop? Because if you do 10 investments and only two work and they're like, you know, get your money back or, or a slight ROI and you just get slammed on others. It's tough. But if you hit like an Uber, uh, you know, whatever you hit one of the big ones and then you get a hundred or 50 or 200 X, it doesn't really matter. Those other ones double or make whatever. And they, they don't succeed. So, but what do you personally expect? Cause like, obviously you're betting, you believe all will work, but like, what do you realistically think will be your rate of, of uh, I'm, profitability?
1: I'm too optimistic, but that's because I'm helping their success. My agency is helping them. So I treat them like clients, so, I've done 36 investments. Only a few of them have exited. So, it's not like I've had a bunch of exits. One went public. One had a big exit. Three of them are doing eight figures in revenue. So, those are my shot at glory. I look at angel investments in a couple of different stages. I have my sapish angel investments that are going to be okay. I have my medium risk ones that are going to be like, if they hit it, might be like a 5 to 10x maybe, if I'm lucky. And then my shot at glory is holy shit. This could be like you know 50 100 200 500 million dollar type company like cross your fingers right but i'm also investing early so my upside is huge if it happens i'm one of the i'm usually one of the first checks if not the first check and so because of that i have a chunk like i'll have five percent or ten percent instead of just having half a percent or one percent i'm going to get diluted along the way but even then if they do have a hundred million plus exit my 100k might end up being three million right and so oh. I'm gambling in that sense, so yeah, I I haven't had any of them go bankrupt. Luckily, knock on wood. And but there's only three out of the 36 that are doing, you know, eight figures of revenue, 20 million plus each consistently.
0: It's good. So again, I mean, that doesn't take much to make all the pile uh, worth worthwhile. Um, Quick question here, live from the chat, asking about uh, Victory Poker on Entourage. Was that yeah?
1: So that was with Scott Venner at Broke Mogul. Uh, he was doing the music for them. He's an avid poker player. You know, he plays a ton of tournaments. Uh, he was doing the music for almost the whole, I think all eight seasons. Anyways, so they helped actually build it into a storyline where uh, Turtle, his assistant, likes poker. And so Turtle would come around the corner, a couple different scenes, and she was playing poker and would like close the laptop, but she was playing victory poker. And so it was fun. It was like built into the storyline. That was one of my favorite shows of all time. And so it was just a fun thing that Scott was able to help set up.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I see Wayne in the chat dropping some, some stuff. Again, guys, this will be out on all the podcast outlets. Generally, we like to have the video and record and have a conversation, but this gets spread across. Most people like uh, podcasts on audio, not video, but video is a nice touch. How many podcasts have you done? Do you enjoy doing podcasts? Would you, would you consider having a podcast?
1: So I am going to do a podcast, but I'm going to do it with my wife. Um, to make it different so we're going to do a relationship based one that's about but we're going to interview other couples so we're not going to sit and talk a ton about relationships itself it will be mostly about business and fitness and health and that stuff but with a bit of relationship in in between mostly because there's just too many business related podcasts that are my friends that I don't want to just have another business related podcast so I'm going to do it with her hopefully this summer
0: very cool. And, and so, you know, for me personally, I started a podcast. This is number 75, you know, the banner's wrong, which we'll, we'll fix, but this, I enjoy it. I love conversations. I love talking to people about sort of understanding how they have, have, have been successful and, and, really looking to, to to drive people give someone a spark you know maybe someone's at home like oh like that's cool or, i want to do this or whatever industry it's in being an expert in their field you know we see joe rogan cash out for 100 million or something i know there's some i'm not really familiar honestly i have no idea about uh podcasting and monetization because i haven't even got i just i kind of approach things like twitch youtube um podcasting as just like a passion and I don't look like, Oh, I'm going to make, what could I make? Or if I hit a thousand episodes and it's popular, what will it do? Cause I kind of think these things take care of themselves. And also I think a lot of people are misinformed and, 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 you know, same thing for you with social, like you're not necessarily generating revenue per se on Instagram or like on Twitch. I'm not really making that much money. It's not like I'm making a living off of Twitch, but that's how you get deals with companies, how you get contacts, all these different things. So there's a lot of, extra value on the side right you can't really say like specifically oh well this makes money but do you believe that podcast podcasting has a future and what, what would you estimate some of the other podcasts like big podcasts you know of that are worth like tim ferris or you know lewis Howes, for example these guys that have very successful and, and, and strong podcasts um do you believe that this is something emerging like is it did joe rogan set the bar is this a new industry are people gonna is this like a business or is this just kind of like a one-off type thing with the guys like this
1: yeah. So there's over 1 million new podcasts. So they just broke the barrier about two months ago, three months ago. And they oh, wow. didn't know podcast. that. However, a very small percentage of them have ever done more than six episodes. Hmm. So what happens is people create their podcast and they don't realize how much work it is to be on episode 75. It's a lot of work, Right. it's a lot of, time, it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of, it's a lot. Yeah. However, if you can battle through it and get a consistent following that's engaged, I mean, there's real money in it. It's yeah. fascinating to watch. There's different types of money. One is people can just sponsor your your show where you can actually sell placements, not just a commercial, but they're actually a sponsor of the show. Two is they can buy spots, you know, commercials, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds. That could be at the beginning, middle or end. Some, depending on your podcast, you can sell multiple. And then the three is you can run affiliates, meaning lifelock.com, and those type of brands wix.com you're you're seeing a lot of those type of companies that are spending a ton of money and paying a lot of affiliate revenue that helps push some of these guys that may not take a check from Cisco or Oracle or whatever but they will do a deal to try to upside with a dollar Shape Club or one of those type of brands
0: I, I I agree. I, I completely agree. What do you think is the What do you think is the next big thing in social media? TikTok is seems like it's blowing up, but there's there's some maybe it's shut down. Uh, you know what, what's up with Snapchat? Where do you? How do you allocate your um, social media? Where would you say your breakdown is in terms of content you put out or that you? feel is valuable because i guess you kind of like you said it doesn't cost or do too much more to repurpose it across yeah. different platforms but what what which if you had to break it on a pie chart of value what would you say social media where do you break facebook instagram snapchat tiktok like what, what's your allocation of value do you think
1: yeah so instagram is by far the number one that's your personal brand that's the most important that's like your business card that's where everybody knows you that's where they see you and that's where you're living your best life and teaching people and entertaining them so youtube is fantastic for monetization but it's a lot of work so youtube is similar to a podcast you got to make long-form content and, and make it well but it's evergreen content so it lives on for years and years and years facebook is going to be around forever nobody can ever buy them they're too big zuckerberg's too young he's going to buy any platform that messes with him or get them shut down or make their life hard like snapchat when facebook tried to buy snapchat for turned down three billion dollars well if you t- if you turn Zuckerberg down, what's he going to do? He's going to make Instagram stories. And Instagram stories is going to make Snapchat irrelevant. So, Snapchat is a humongous company internationally because of the messaging that disappears, it's ephemeral messaging, but out of 600 influencers I work with, zero have brought up Snapchat in a year and a half.
0: Zero. Not once. It's interesting cuz the stock rebounded pretty big and it had dipped yes. a lot, but I'm curious on that. Like I don't really understand is that cuz I, I personally i have snapchat um i don't really use it you know like it's it's actually one of the ones where i don't have like uh i don't have automated or across the board or i don't necessarily put it out if i try to put it up or throw up my podcast from going live i'm like oh i'm doing this but i forget a lot so it's it's like you know obviously just personally i can see that that's an issue i don't really hear about it much either so so what what, what is the reason on that and how is the stock Uh, Doing well, like, how is the company doing well? Like, what's happening there?
1: Snapchat still has a ton of interactions because of high school kids texting with each other, so it still has a big base, and they have money because they do deals with big brands for kids. So they'll do a big deal with M and M's and Skittles and Wrigley's gum and those type of brand, you know, Netflix, McDonald's, etc. So Snapchat is not a platform that I care about. Um, I, I wish because it's such a gorgeous fast technology but they ruined it and it's tough to utilize
0: man it's really shot up here uh in the last
1: their numbers are great from a
0: holy wow that's surprising to me that it went up uh, i remember here yeah i remember it went up like 5 to 15 or something like that i thought that was pretty crazy and then yeah so i mean interesting though but like you said it depends what you're doing or trying to get out of it or if you're if you're prone to social um let's take a few more questions here give me an actual countdown when do you you do have a thing when do you have to jam out of here pretty soon yeah so whatever just keep well. going keep keep doing that we got some uh, saw some good questions um so we just talked about rate of success. What's your best investment? What's your like highest ROI, I guess? What would you, how, like, what would you say is just like a golden, golden thing that's happened to you?
1: The one that went public, um, that one was good. And I actually sold my shares. So that one was, I actually had a liquidity event. Um, there was another, I like Dollar Beard Club a lot. It hasn't exited yet, but they've done like 26 million revenue. I was the first investor, so I like that one. Uh, I like a company called TrendyButler.com. It's a monthly box of men's clothing for 65 bucks a month. Same thing, it's over 20 million in revenue. Uh, I was the first check there, and then I brought my friends in. So I put 150K in, and then my friends put in 1.1 million more, and then more guys started putting in, like six million after that. Um, There's been some fun ones. There's a travel company I put the first check into. We raised like 12 million after that. I put in a small check at the beginning, um, and then i got well, walmart ended up investing and it's just that was a good one
0: i don't what, know what, that's a travel what is what's that what is that like business reverse, based reverse, on
1: reverse travel so instead of you saying i want to go to costa rica i have this much money you say i have two grand where can i go in the world and it shows you, you're you like i didn't know i could go to india and i didn't know i could go to maui and i didn't know i never even knew what marrakesh was you know
0: It's called reverse travel
1: that's
0: what the concept of the site is. Yeah. Oh. Uh, if it, that's, it's interesting. I like that. That it almost like picks a, uh, picks your vacation or gives you what you could do. It's like, Oh yeah, that, I, I love that. That's interesting. Yeah. Cool. So you, yeah, yeah. that's, that's a uh, – those are some interesting ROIs and, and different uh, – again, a wide spectrum. It's not – you don't seem like you're pigeonholed in, in this category. You like to mix it up in whatever's interesting and, and catches your attention. Um, what about sports? Do you bet sports? And what do you think about U.S. passing at a federal level? Sports seems like basically the hottest um, ticket, really, there is. Like right now, if you can get in, in that space. But it's a bit of a gray – I mean, not gray, but slots, gaming, sports, like betting. It's a little bit of a – it's a little sensitive in some some respects. What What is your thoughts on that, and do you have any plans for that?
1: Yeah, so I'm not in the sports market. I don't sports bet. Obviously, a ton of my friends do, just being in the poker world. Um, the I wouldn't get into the sports market as far as myself. That's not my forte. I like the online poker space or online casino I, I would do. But the sports market is humongous, and I, for me – because so many countries all over the world have always legalized sports bidding and always legalized online poker and always legalized online casino, I think it's insanity that we don't have that in the U.S. Like, Black Friday was a decade ago. What are we talking about? Like, how are we not legal here? Like, got- I had
0: Mike Sexton on recently, you know, who's one of the legends in gaming and okay. had got a big – I don't know if you know his full story or kind of what happened with him with Party. Do you know, you know the deal?
1: You get like 11 million along the way or something
0: he got 15 million on the cash out they ended up giving him a 15 million bonus like a year later because they felt bad on the deal they basically they didn't force him but they were like oh you're the last u.s shareholder you know this and that it was around like the, whether it was ill will or not but if he had held his shares for like another 18 months he would have got 530 million but he sold for 15 and then they gave him 15 more uh, oh. as like a kind of like you know sorry buddy <laughs> like we just kept we just capitalized that much wow. more. um so yeah, yeah interesting but uh i forget why we were just saying that what were we just talking about sports um, uh sports 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 i just there's a reason why i was referencing mike sexton though sports we we're talking about what betting or sites what were we saying
1: yeah, about the legalization of all these other
0: countries. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he was saying on the podcast, he was basically saying the reason in his mind that we do not have it legal now and across the U.S. and it's open is because of the full tilt issue, really. Like that's what his, his thought is, which makes some sense. He's basically saying because they didn't have the player funds, how they handled it, how it was perceived, all that, that's like a big reason why it's not – everything's not good, but I don't know. At the same time, like that's part of the reason of regulating it. Right. so like the funds are done, right. The taxes are done, right. All that. So I don't know if that makes perfect sense, but I mean, to that point, I would have bet a lot of money. If you had told me 2011, this is happening and everyone's money got returned and things are sort of whatever. I can't believe 2020, Poker is not legal in the U S that is, I mean, it's a decade. Like there's people's lives that were changed. People quit. People moved out of the country. Like, you know, it's it changed the whole, the, the amount of young, youth playing. And it's a, it's a shame. It's crazy. And it's like, how can you bet DraftKings and and do these things and not play poker when the, it's, it's like, lottery. what the heck? I play lottery and horse betting, but yeah. not
1: poker. Not play yeah. the one actual game of skill. <laughs> like, yeah,
0: it's 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 pretty it's pretty crazy. Especially when uh, there's casinos all over the country too. I
1: can go play poker in person, but I can't play it on my laptop. It's and every country has proven for so many years, almost freaking fifteen, twenty years now, that they can regulate it.
0: Yeah, it's uh Ah, oh, it's, it's, uh, it makes me upset. It makes me, it's all, it's all kind of crazy, man, but I think it's going to come back. Uh, let's take a couple more. What's your goal in life? What do you, but like, so you've, I think you, you would agree with surrounding yourself with people you want to emulate, be like, and, and, and sort of like, it just, it just happens. The good things are going to happen when you're in these type of a hundred million Academy or in, in this type of, of uh, group of people, what would be your goal though? Like, do you have a number in mind? Do you want to have this, be able to have a private, jets and own different houses like what is your actual you know you've done the charity aspect uh, so like you got that set up ready to you know extend it make it better bigger you have like a a avenue for that but what is the goal for you what do you actually want to do who do you want to be remembered as
1: yeah so the financial part isn't really my goal like i don't ever talk about i've had the same watch for 12 years i haven't owned a car in five years like that stuff isn't what's important to me what i really want to do is i want to Help as many people as, like, and I'm not saying the cliche way of help as many people as possible. I want to help as many people as possible to start up their companies and scale them because it changes people's lives, like an actual thing. I'm not talking about like the weeping, like oh, I'm gonna donate all my money. I'm not talking about that. I like the capitalistic part of it. Of like, if I fund Everbowl and they go from 26 locations to 200 locations, from 400 employees what we have now to 4,000, that's changed to me. To me, that's important. Because those people, that them having a job or career, that's important to me. And I want to do that at scale. And I feel like if I can create 36 investments goes into 300 investments one day, well, if I can create tens of thousands of jobs, that's legacy. That's scale.
0: Yeah, that's, that is that that is powerful. And it's, I, I think, you know, I always say to myself, too, though, it's kind of tricky with kids and, like, you start looking at time and allocation, the ultimate resource, what what I'd rather do this. Or, you know, it's, hard, it's kind of hard to, like, be, I, I would imagine, like, yourself or Jason Kuntz, who just has fourth child, Gary V. I always wonder like guys like that too, how they're able to balance family and do this, but there's obviously sacrifices and there's no way you can be the number one social media output guy in the world. And you're, you're going, you're you're making every soccer practice and choir thing, you know? So like there is some trade-offs, right. And, and that's just like a fact, like you, but you know, balance is important. Uh, what, what would, uh, would that is that a consideration when you're having a family or children do you want to wait like a why do you have a plan like i'm going to wait until x or do you just kind of because there's never going to be a good time it's never like oh i'm not busy
1: yeah no i'm really ready now you know i just i know it'll make me change who i am i've heard the different stories obviously over and over and over from friends but i'm ready for it like it's it's that time, and I believe that I can run a lot of my stuff from home, so I won't I won't go speak at 150 events a year anymore. I would go speak at like 20. Right. So I don't want to stop who I am, but I would adapt once I have a child, and then once that child is X amount of years, then maybe I venture back out to do you know 40, 50 events a year.
0: Yeah, and that, that, I mean that's also I think there's there's a um, you can scale it too, right? It's like all right, I'm doing this many talks and this thing, but maybe on the 10 or 20 I do, it'll be more directed, more you know, bigger or or more focused and and there's, you can always adapt, but it's uh, it's never the right time. It's, it is the best. I would highly recommend it. Well, do you have any, uh, do you have any words of wisdom? What would you, in the COVID time, what you're seeing, give us like a overall positivity. Give us like your outtake on life, what people can do at home and and sort of just a message you're seeing and, and, and feel in the world right now.
1: So my main thing is everything you've ever wanted in your life is on sale. So if you were ever gonna invest into a home, cars, watches, anything you ever thought about, you can buy at a discount because other people are having a financial tragedy. And I hate to say it like in a taking advantage way, but it's the reality of the situation of what's happening in the world is there's gonna be a big financial shift. And so if you were ever going to make some of those purchases or investments or deals, those things are coming up. On the other side, a lot of interesting situations for you to become an entrepreneur or get a new job has arisen because somebody's losing their business and you can come in and take a percentage to help them scale back up. Somebody's changing, they had a chain of restaurants and now they can't, you can come in and take over one, keep it alive for them and not put up any money for it. Somebody has a commercial building and they wanna get out of the deal, you can come in and try to fix it, remodel it yourself and not even have to come out in cash. A lot of interesting situations are coming up and so just being in the social media world, on Google, going and like listening to everything that's going on and finding those situations, a ton of financial successes and fortunes come from these tragic moments in time. And so you can't here sit on the floor and cry butter Now, this is the time to be proactive. And if you don't want to be on your side or you don't want to be an investing side, totally fine. There's also a lot of new ways to make money because now the delivery companies have gone to the roof e-commerce companies gone to the roof look at how you can take your business online or work for companies that are taking their business online and truly be able to make a whole new line of income because it is a different world even when we reopen it's not going to be normal for a long long time
0: it is definitely a wild time and this is a great question. I just want to ask this as well. What are your main criteria when selecting a company to invest other than bet on the person, you know, personal relationships, believing in the people, what, what other things are you looking at when you look at before you fire a 25 to 250 check?
1: Yeah. My first thing is, is does anybody care? not meaning like not their mom and grandma and friends on Facebook does anybody care like if, if they posted about it would you care would Jeff care if the random person over here Jennifer posted about the product? right also I know there's gonna be a ton of competition in almost anything that's done there's very rare anything is new but is there a room in the market if you're gonna start a new water company there's a ton of waters and there's not really anything bad with them right you're gonna start a new protein company a new CBD you knew this knew that there's going to be hundreds of competitors, maybe thousands. So would anybody care? And is there any room for you in that space? Then how big is it? Is it a small thing? Is it a niche? That's fine. I have to think about that. Are you going to try to be a medium-sized player? Great. How are you going to do that? And how much do you really need? Are you going to be a large player and then you're going to pitch me on, you're going to be the next Uber for something? Well, you got to show me how you're going to raise that kind of capital, build that kind of team, et cetera. So I'm looking for reality checks along the way of can they do it? How big is the market? How, why are they the person for it? Why does anybody care? I'm asking those type of questions.
0: Makes a lot of sense. I, I, the one that makes me the most ill, I brought it to two of my most sophisticated investor friends. People, I had a chance to buy 1% of DraftKings. It would have been split three-way in 2012. Uh, it was a $25 million uh, round and it had closed it had the jet, the CEO, Jason Robbins. I still have the email. It's like my, my motivation on the side. Uh, I would have put up 83,000 to have a third of a percent. I guess it was actually a little less. I mean, dilution, this and that, but yeah, it's worth 12 billion today. And it, we would have gotten it at the 25. m uh, and I knew it cause all my friends were playing it. I used it. I love it. I got it. I saw it. I saw it emerging. You know, I was at every poker stop. The the board like DraftKings was there. I saw the people. I had friends. We had a fund. My buddy was running, so I knew it was going to be good, like in my head. But you know, when one of my friends it was super successful, wealthy, and I was like, ah, they, they their reply was, we think the valuation's too high. And you know, I uh, listen. Most businesses don't work. You can't just say yes to everything. And I get it. But like that was one where you know, looking back, it was a big. It would have been a massive investment for me at the time. But I was like all in. I was like I was pushing it, and they said no. So you know, that's like in the back of my head, though. It does give me some confidence and, you know, maybe it wasn't ready. Maybe, maybe, you know, who knows, whatever would have happened. Like I would have made some great money on it. Maybe I would have got lazy or done other things or felt like whatever, but just kind of realizing, like, I do feel that I can pick winners. Like I I feel like I'm in tune to what's good, what's new, what's trending and whatever. So, you know, I think that's all you can do is put yourself in good spots. And, uh, you know, I can't put that on my resume, unfortunately, as 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 having that investment. But I, you know, again, it's a learning experience and, and there's other ones that are going well. And I actually have some pretty cool stuff. Out. We'll talk off the podcast maybe in the future. I know you have to run, um, but we'll. Uh, I, I got some interesting stuff in the pipeline. And um, I think you'd be pretty interested as well. And, and definitely, I, I think it's, it's also nice to have investors. And when you bring... You're, you're a net positive, right? So smart. it's not just like, oh, you could, because a lot of stuff you could raise money. You could say, hey, like call people like give me 100K, 500K. That's fine. But like, are they going to actually do stuff? Do they know contacts in the space? Are they motivated? Are they going to be interested in, you know, smart money, if you will? So obviously that's always that. Well, Dan, I I, I, I know you got to go here. We're going to roll this. Uh, anything else? Anything else you want to touch on closing anything coming up? No, the main thing, everybody is
1: just get started. Like whatever the idea is even wanting to do, this is the best year in history to do it because we're all stuck at home or we're all going out less. And so this is the time to just study, learn everything online, but actually get started this time.
0: And, and where is, uh, so if people want to catch up and follow along with you, is Instagram the best place to stay in tune in touch with yeah. what you got?
1: Any of the main social platforms, but Instagram and Twitter, I'm mostly, uh, Instagram's my most fun.
0: Okay, well let's uh we're gonna go here. We are gonna copy this and we're gonna give someone a fifty-five dollar ticket courtesy of you, party poker. We're gonna roll it when you tell me when and someone's got a ticket in their pocket. Three, two, go. Boom. (laughs) Someone has got it. We got a fifty-five dollar. Usually repeat winners, they just feel like they have a code. Josh and Charles, this guy feels like a repeat winner. Oh, he's not. We got a new one. I love it. All right. So Dan, I appreciate that. Number 75, a.k.a. 74, double 74. We just had it. I don't know what happened there. Dan, thank you so much, man. It really was. I, I feel like I learned a lot. I already uh, know you well, but got to learn a bit more about you. So I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we will see you soon. And hopefully I'll be in one of these 100 million academies or something else, and we can collaborate on some stuff. And uh, if nothing else, sports cards, I'm sure I'll be uh, in the chat and, and dialed in, and, and and I'll be right there with you. So I'm, I'm very, very into that. I like it, and, and uh, it was fun, man. Thank you for the time. You got it. Cheers, man. All right, guys. That's Dan Fleshman, also a poker player back in the day, investor, angel investor. He does a lot of different things. Hope you guys really got to learn something. I know I did. I, I think he uh, is is in a unique position and, and really does have some cool stuff that he's working on. So enjoy it. It's on all the podcast outlets. We will have a few podcasts next week, some poker, some business, some athletics. We got it all. We're, we're humming. We're ready for the World Poker Tour, $100 million series coming up on Party Poker. That starts on July 17th. We will be firing that for about six weeks straight on Twitch, jeffgrosspoker.tv. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. And I really appreciate you guys listening and following along. Thank you.